From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 266 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me back. How are you, Michael? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. And yourself? I can't complain. I'm about to go to Disneyland. Well, I'm I'm currently in Disneyland as people are listening to this, mm-hmm. but as we're recording, I'm getting ready to go there. So, uh, you know, beautiful weather without the humidity. Uh, obviously, some of my favorite food in the world, uh, some of my favorite people in the world getting to hang out with, you know, so, so many people who follow all of the, the Diz Unplugged shows and, and the website and dreams on them to travel. Man, it's a, it's a good week. I agree. I'm looking forward to it as well. Looking forward to seeing you again and and seeing our listeners and and the team and hopefully seeing some things at Disneyland I have not seen yet. So um, so it's been a little while since I've been down there. Yeah, I, I just want that uh, Rogers the musical. That's my <laughs> that's my bucket list item. And then I also I'm hoping there's time to rewatch uh, World of Color one because I I wasn't happy with it the first time I saw it. So I want to give it another fair shot. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen the fireworks yet over at Disneyland. So there's a lot I need to catch up on. So going to have to extend some days, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be there until the 7th, and then uh, who knows, maybe I'll come back down at some point. But we are starting out with, with some sad news. You may have heard a while back that a friend of the show, Disney historian and author Jim Corcus, was ill, and we had talked about that, and he, sadly, he passed away um, last Friday, and he, he, he actually wrote himself a beautiful obituary. So, uh, you know, not many people get to write their own obituary, but he passed away from stage four colon cancer after having like a triple or quadruple bypass or something and did well with that. And then they discovered that he had cancer and it had spread and all that. But he, uh, I'm just thinking of all the, just all the, all the knowledge, all the stories that now we'll never hear that I know he had. Yeah, and I mean, we—I mean, first off, we're lucky enough for all the ones that he did tell, you know, through his books that he was able to write. Uh, obviously, his contributions that he made to this podcast, coming on and expounding, because even when it was like based around a, a certain topic that we were discussing or one of his books, you know, once once Jim got talking you couldn't stop him and (laughs) then at that point you knew you were going to get all these details that might not have even you know been in the book or Mm -hmm. just even in our our realm thinking that we were going to talk about that but you know beyond that uh he written for so many of the unofficial 
Disney fan sites just like the Diz over the years. Um, he's was a huge voice on uh, Lou Mangello's podcast, WDW Radio. I mean, mm-hmm. he he was everywhere. And there is no doubt at some point in time, if you're listening to this podcast, you either heard him on this show, like I said, WDW Radio, and you you heard one of his stories and it, it stuck with you for a long time and, you know, might have even been one of those stories that will stick with you forever so just uh, uh such a sad sad loss for everyone who is in the disney community just uh, a bunch of knowledge left with him and will absolutely it'll never be the same no it absolutely wouldn't and he used to tell even before we'd start recording and after we'd end the recording he was still telling stories and i'd be thinking oh we should have kept recording <laughs> For sure. There was, was I mean, there was points in time where, you know, you can't even edit to make it make sense in the the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Like we would, we would be talking to him for 15, 20 minutes before we would start and another Mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes after. And most of the times he would talk so much that we would get two or three episodes out of it. Be like, you could, you could have got one more. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just, and that's, that's part of what was so special about him is how, how excited he was to share his stories too. And it just, you know, you know, it mean a lot to him. And every time, you know, a book would do very well for him. He, he knew that it was the community coming out to support him. So mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Just, I'm glad that we have our episodes with him that we can listen back to. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you've been thinking about getting his books, now is probably a good time to start, you know, completing your collection of Jim Corcus books to make sure, sure you have all his stories right now. Mm-hmm. And then as of recording today, Paul Rubens passed. We knew him as um, Pee Wee Herman, of course. And that, you know, Disney fans know that he was the voice of Rex on the original Star Tours. And so... Yep. Uh, just, and then DJ Rex too, of course, on mm-hmm. uh, in Ogus Cantina in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, I have my my DJ Rex that sits behind me on my shelf full of uh, Star Wars junk. I probably don't need, but will never get rid of. Uh, now I I love Rex. I mean, it, it, growing up, I I think my my two favorite attractions when I was a kid at Walt Disney World were probably original Star Tours in Splash Mountain. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, part of the original Star Tours wasn't that it made you feel like you were just flying through an actual Star Wars movie. It was how perfect Rex was as your pilot and oh, just yeah. not doing a good job <laughs> at, at any point in time. It was uh, the right uh, amount of humor, you know, mm-hmm. in it. And, and, along with the right amount of confusion <laughs> and his voice just brought it to life in the biggest mm-hmm. way i mean i i didn't love peewee herman when i was growing up he, he kind of scared me to be perfectly honest uh but i you know i never even connected it it wasn't until i was a little bit older that i was like that's the same person so uh, it just you know, a very, very talented individual. And of course, did did more than just those two. Uh, I love him in the movie Mystery Men with mm-hmm. uh, Ben Stiller. That's that's just one of my favorite, favorite uh, junk food movies. And 
just wrecks my brain every time I watch it. But he's a man. It's uh, another big loss. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did like Pee Wee's Playhouse, even though I was, wasn't probably the demographic it I was for, I enjoyed it. And I liked his films too. It. (laughs) So I think my terror from it comes that we had one neighbor in like kind of in our neighborhood area and in their basement, they had like the, the Pee Wee's Playhouse kind of play set. And I think seeing it in, three dimension in real life there kind of scared me when i was like four or five (laughs) years old uh so i i enjoy watching the movies a lot more now but yeah it when i was a kid it just it it was it was right up there with return to oz in the oh oh wow that's intense yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well of course so to both jim corcus's and paul rubin's friends and family we we send out our condolences yeah, um, to I, them. I just want to do a humble brag for one second. It's mm-hmm. with just around Paul Rubens. I at the grand opening party of Galaxy's Edge. He was there because of DJ Rex and in the Droid Depot at Disneyland. He was in there walking around and looking at all the DJ Rex merchandise being sold. And I was I was literally within a foot of him. I was standing right beside him and I just was like, do I, do I say something? Do what, what do I do? Like, do, do I just ignore it? And I, I didn't say anything. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. He just, you know, he wanted to look at all this stuff with his character and then kind of went on his way and was just being really quiet. But I'm like, I wish I would have had the guts now to go up and say hi to him. Even if it was just like, thanks for everything you do. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just, at least I can say, like, I was right there next to him. That's, that's still just, cool. Just like at, uh, at the um, OD23 Expo, where you, you could have reached out and touched the rock. Oh, no, I, I did that. touch the rock. Oh, you did I touch did Oh, touch maybe that's rock. another story. I don't have many things I'm proud of in my life. <laughs> I have my wife, I have my son, and I have touching the rock. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we are in the middle of summer, and that's the time for enjoying barbecues in our backyards, laying out on the beach, or just relaxing with a cold drink while listening to some of our favorite summer tunes and playlists. If you're a Disney fan, you may include some Disney songs on your playlist that you associate with sort of summertime vibes. So in this episode, Craig and I share some Disney tunes that we may include in our own um, summer playlists. So, and we'll talk a little about why. Um, but do, Craig, did you have a criterion, like what you consider a summer song? Well, so this one was both ridiculously easy and then also hard to come up with because uh, part of my, so part of my uh, my choices in when I was making my choices, part of my mind was what do I what Disney songs do I relate to with like summer vacations that I, I take with Disney or, or maybe even movies that came out in the summer or just for some random reason, give me that vibe. So my list is all over the place. And I think I might have like one or two that you, you may have potentially put on your list. Uh, definitely. I think we'll have overlap on one, but everything else 
it, it's just like, oh, you know, when we came on a, a Disney trip when I was a little kid, I heard that song. And now it's like that's a, mm-hmm. a, a summer song in my head that reminds me of summertime and going on the family vacation. And, you know, I the one thing I definitely did with this list, I stayed away from a lot of songs that I feel like most people would probably go to with summer. So like I, I didn't include Hawaiian roller coaster ride things from Lilo and stitch. I didn't include anything from Moana that kind of had that, you know, tropical Island feel that I feel like some people could relate to, uh, to, to summer. I have one that I, I blurred the lines a little bit on it, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just, my, my list is so random and I was so afraid that we would have a crossover that I actually came up with nine. Just oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I cheated cause I have two CDs and, <laughs> so, but, um, but for me, it was more, I, it was sort of like you, the things I associated with the summer and like trips, but also just things that feel outdoorsy or upbeat um, or that are lively, you know, qualities that I associate with summer outdoors, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So, so do you want to, do you want to start? Tell us the, your first one. Okay. My first one, it was the first one that literally jumped out at me. Um, like when I think, when I think of summer, I think of this song and a lot of that is, is really because of Disney cruise line. It's the song that I want to hear when I'm walking through the hallways of a Disney cruise line ship. And that of course is a whale of a tale from 20,000 leagues under the sea. And, uh, of course that's performed by Kirk Douglas in the movie. And, uh, I, I, I did my full research on this, Michael. So you'll have to bear with <laughs> me if I went into more detail than you. Uh, I don't think I did, but I, I wanted to be up on your level at least. Uh, it was written by Al Hoffman and Norman Gimbel. Uh, Gimbel had a ton of success in his days, uh, specifically his collaborations with Charles Fox. And that led to TV show theme songs for Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley, plus a whole bunch more. Uh, Gimbal also worked on Disney's Lady in the Tramp 2, the direct-to-video sequel. Oh, okay. uh, did the music for that. Whereas Hoffman wrote songs for Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, Nat King Cole, Eartha Kitt, Bed- Bette Midler, so many more. But uh, he's more uh, more known in the Disney realm because he also collaborated on songs for Cinderella, like Bippity Boppity Boo, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, Swings, Sing Sweet Nightingale, So This Is Love, and with Alice in Wonderland, the Unbirthday song, oh. and uh, my favorite, Trick or Treat for Halloween. So, and those collaborations were with Mac David and Jerry Livingston, and of course with. So that's the history behind it all. But A Whale of a Tale, of course, is the song that just is spattered throughout all of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You know, I I fell in love with it from a Disney sing-along song videotape before, you know, I even saw 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So I, I I always loved hearing that when, you know, I'd be on summer break or even when I was even younger than that and just listening to all the disney songs on my my sing-along songs and then you know on on little cassette tapes and and cds that i would collect over the years but yeah it's for me i'm now at the point where even though i don't cruise mostly in summer 
you know, when you're on a Disney cruise line ship, something about it gives you that summertime feeling. And when I'm walking through the halls and I hear a whale of a tail, it's like, okay, this is, this is a Disney song that is worthy of being played on a Disney ship because Mm -hmm. of the connection to the sea. So for some reason, to me, it just, it gives me that, that summer vibes. And, you know, I, summertime is never a bad time to watch 20,000 leagues under the sea. Uh, it was on my reading list for this summer because you and I are going to do an episode and I still haven't made it to it, but I still have a hundred pages to plow through. (laughs) Oh goodness. I got sidetracked. Only an hour and a half, but I have another book I'm reading and prepping for another project. So I put that aside, then I bring it back and then, um, you know, that song has a fond memory for me because when our children were really little, um, well, you know, like elementary, middle school and all that, um, our daughter played the clarinet and she continued that through high school and beyond. And our son played the trombone, which, um, he, he abandoned after a couple of years, but, uh, but they would do Christmas concerts and the whole family got together Christmas time at my in-laws house and that inspired my father-in-law carol's dad to pull out of the i don't know the rafters his accordion and he would then start to play too and he got so into this you know our kids would play he would play he one christmas he printed songbooks for everybody and so we could all join in but one of his top songs was always the first or second one he played was a whale of a tail and i thought how do you even know this (laughs) but and he knew it by memory he knew the words and everything so i mean i I guess in terms of popular music there's only so many songs that you would learn on the accordion so in a, a sea shanty like that definitely fits it fits the bill. So mm-hmm. uh, that, wow, what a cool story. That uh, is, it is. A, it's just a great so, memory for you. And, and it was great because he, he, I knew the words and he was so, yeah. the first time he played it, when I sang with him, he was so impressed that I knew the song. And then he, oh, he pulled all kinds out of his hat that, you know, my generation, we learned folk songs and all that in school. I don't think that's taught anymore, sadly. But uh, so I knew them all. So we had yeah. a great time. So a really nice memory. Well, well, I, mine is, I'm just going to get it out of the way because I was sure this is going to be on yours, but I put Hawaiian roller coaster ride <laughs> on mine. And I know, and it's because I love Hawaii. I, I, I equate, you know, just uh, the sunshine, the weather, the beach and all that, even though I don't go there in the summer, I go in the spring when I do go. Uh, it's, um, it's just, I don't know, that just gives me, I just feel like I'm outdoors, especially coming from California and the, and the whole, you know, that whole surf sort of community and all that. And so, of course, everybody knows it's the main song from Lilo and Stitch. And what I like is it's sung by Hawaiian singers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's heard, of course, when Lilo, Nani, David, and Stitch are all going surfing. And, Yep. Lilo and Stitch is not one of my favorite films. I need to rewatch it because maybe it'll grow on me. But I always like that song. I, lo- I love the music from it. Yeah. Well, that, see, that's where I was like, how far can I push this? Because uh, from <laughs> from Lilo and Stitch, as much as I love Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride, it is a fun song and it 
it gives me those summer vibes. I had a feeling you were going to choose it. <laughs> so I, that's why I stayed away from it. But I was like, staying with Lilo and Stitch, is it fair to put in an Elvis song <laughs> onto the list? Because technically it's on the soundtrack. Yeah, Blue Hawaii. You know, he had I, his album, Blue Hawaii. So why oh, not? Yeah. No, that was one of my dad's favorite albums, and he had he had the film on laserdisc. Oh no, I I I love that movie. I Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that movie, and of course, I love Elvis. And so I I thought about it, but then I'm like, no, that's not very fair because then I also thought about uh, Shaboom from from the first Cars movie because Mm -hmm. I'm like that's that also gives me the vibes of like you know driving around in the summertime with the windows down I didn't have a convertible so no top down for me but maybe if I did but uh, then I was like no I'll stick to I'll stick to actual Disney written songs not not pop ones but no it Hawaiian roller coaster ride is just you know to me listening to it is like tasting a Dole Whip it's just it's tropical throughout while not mm-hmm. being like overly sweet. It's just the right mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. I do. I do unlock my honorable mention list. If I had one, there was, there is a song from cars that I, I think of as a summer vibe, but I'm not sure if you have it on your list, but I, I'm, I mean, you have to say it now. Well, you, can't just bring you know, life is a highway. Yeah. Just cruising. <laughs> yeah. Just cruising the open road, you know, you convertible down enjoying the weather the breeze the sun as you go off on an adventure and again it's 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 very californian to me yeah it's i mean it obviously is funny enough for me that would be one of my uh one of my christmas time uh playlists uh solely for the fact that uh you know I, I love the song in cars. I've always I've always loved that song, like Rascal Flatts version, the original mm-hmm. version. Um, and there's an episode of The Office where they're taking a road trip for uh for Michael Scott to move his girlfriend to her new place and like they just play Life is a Highway over and over again, the original <laughs> version. So when Kylie and I would go to drive home to to Pennsylvania for for Christmas, I would literally start off every road trip with it. So it's like for me, I equate it to the the winter time <laughs> for that reason. But it is more of a summer song. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what's the next one on your list? Next one for my list is Lavender Blue, Dilly Dilly. I love that and- song. Uh, of course, performed by Burl Ives in So Dear to My Heart. Uh, fun fact about the song, it was nominated for Best Original Song for the Academy Award, and it was it didn't win. And it was nominated for the AFI 100 Years 100 Songs list, but it didn't make the cut. That's okay. Uh, you know, uh, it's still a very, very beautiful and important song in uh, the Disney realm, it was revived for the 2015 live action Cinderella movie. So, and they did it so it well. They did it so well the way they brought that in. And yeah. it, it, it's been, it, it is a Disney staple. It has been in numerous movies. And, um, you know, even if it's just a little background music or something. Yeah. But no, it, 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 it's one of those tunes that is popular, but just sort of flies under the radar. It's not like, you know, it's not like when you wish upon a star or anything, but it's so equated with Disney now. Yeah. And I mean, it's I think it's because of 
for me, it's because of the nursery rhyme element to it, because, of course, it's origin. If everyone doesn't know, but I know now, it's originally a an English folk song and nursery mm-hmm. rhyme from the 17th century. And like the earliest versions that are in the records, it was Diddle Diddle or The Kind Country Lovers. But eventually it emerged as a children's song around 1805 as Lavender's Blue. But uh, for me, it's just that it is the nursery nursery rhyme structure within (laughs) to me like when i hear that i i think like okay even though this was not my childhood i think about like sitting on the front porch on a rocking chair drinking lemonade as it's like turning to dusk and fireflies are coming out Mm -hmm. and that's when i hear that tune that's what pops up in my mind for some reason and uh so that's like when i hear it i just that it pops right into me. And that's why I equate it with summer. Yeah. And a number of artists have performed it. I know like when I listen to Sirius radio, I I forget which channels I'll just, I hear it come up and it's like, like a pop star of back in the fifties or somebody performed it. Yeah. And and, he made it a standard. Like, you know, they revive it for this movie and Burl lives just, absolutely popularized it and you know it's a shame that the same couldn't have happened for ugly bug ball but you know it's it, it, lavender's blues that's good enough right yeah, yeah well you know then i'm just going to tell you what my next one is because it connects it is the song summer magic and with some and of course burl ives is right in that one too i love this film um, of course, for folks who haven't seen it, you, you want to see it. It's, it's a 1963 um, musical directed by James Nielsen, and it starred Haley Mills, Burl Ives, and Dorothy McGuire, another wonderful actress, you know, m- known for Disney roles, but actually had a very long career. And it's based, you know, about an early 1900s Boston widow and her children, and they, through a roundabout sort of way, end up in this big yellow house in Maine. And it was, and Burl Lives is Osh Popham. If you go to Walt Disney World's Main Street, you'll see he is the proprietor of the Emporium. There. So, and then Osh Popham, not Burl Lives. And then the film's based on the novel Mother Carrie's Chickens by Kate Douglas Wiggin. And this was the fourth of six films that Haley Mills appeared in for Disney and she received a golden globe nomination for her work, but she later said it was the worst of the movies she made for Disney because she felt the script was poor and the acting was not challenging. It's just a fun film. It's just a fun flick. You know, that's all. Yeah. And the the story's sort of silly, but it's so enjoyable and it starts out in the summer and then ends in um, Halloween, the fall time. So that's why it's maybe a late summer movie. I'll always watch it. But the, but there's a, a, just this beautiful scene where they're all sitting on the front porch and and um, just all relaxing. And, you know, the days before cell phones and radios maybe and all that where you did sit, you pass time by sitting around singing, you know, or, do, you know, things like telling stories, which I wish we could get back to that. But. This is a song they all sing in the quiet of the evening on the front porch and they, um, and they, and they, and, and they sing this song. And of course it's written by the Sherman brothers. 
Summer Magic. It's a very quiet, very lyrical song. It just reminds me of just the summer nights with the warm, maybe breeze, looking out at the stars. If you live in a place where there's fireflies, maybe those are, we have crickets and frogs that we hear here where I live. But um, it's in the film, it's sung by the Dorothy McGuire character, but it was really sung by Marilyn Hooven. Yeah. She was the singing voice for um, Dorothy McGuire. There is a runner up on this one for me. And you sort of mentioned it already on the front porch. Yeah. That's sung by Burl Ives in the cast, but there's so much good music in here and oh, it is so yeah. much fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost thought about on the front porch, but that was another one too, where I was like, Ooh, I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't know where we'd go if you would have went with that. I also, uh, beautiful Beulah from yes. this movie too, could have been mm-hmm. there. Honestly, the only song I can't get behind on this movie for like summer feeling really for me is ugly bug ball because oh, I, love the, ugly bug ball, yeah. I love the song, but during Mickey's not so scary Halloween party, they play it in fantasy land. So it's like, to me, that's oh, a Halloween funny. Song. Yeah. I, that it's funny because, um, you know, I would, um, sing when I was a teacher of really young children, kindergarten for second grade, I would, you know, we would, we would have music and singing as much as I could do it. Cause I wanted them to know songs. We would, we would sing Disney songs sometimes. And ugly bug ball was one of them. Cause I thought, Oh, this is a fun one for children. And I had a lot of little children that did not like the song because it, it talked about ugly bugs and they didn't like bugs. And I, I, I never thought of that. You know, that it would affect children yeah. that way. But yeah. it, it's delightful songs, delightful movie, Fritterin. I really like Fritterin yeah. from that film. You know, now I know Haley Mills is very critical of the pink of perfection. And so, but, you know, you got to think of the era where, you know, basically they're telling um, a, a, a girl, younger, well, Osh Poppins, Burl Ives' daughter, how to... Um, how to get a boy to be interested in her. And it's all about, you know, you have to walk feminine, talk feminine, you know, be, be as your best feminine, emphasize your femininity. That's the way to catch a bow, you know, emphasize femininity, emphasize your femininity if you want to catch a bow. So, okay. But, you know, back in the early 1900s, yeah, that's sort of what was done. So, yeah. Anyway. So, but, uh, uh, delightful film but i i just love the music from it yeah i can't believe she'd i i would put moon spinners at the bottom of her list of yeah but you know there was a, that was physically i think demanding and she was in greece and all that whereas and i so maybe she liked that a little more it was more of adult she had a, a relation you know she had a, a a love interest in moon spinners so, well, she did in Summer Magic to a certain extent, but Summer yeah. Magic was all backlot, you know, and, and all that. So maybe it wasn't as exciting for a young girl. I, I, I'm sure she likes it all now and was glad that she had the chance in general. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure if they made Summer Magic 2, <laughs> she, she'd be there. Back in the habit, of course. So, uh, <laughs> Electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> All of them and more. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, I can give you my number three if we're ready. Okay. This is my first stretch one, so I apologize for it. But uh, Painting the Rose is Red 
from Alice in Wonderland, oh. uh, performed by the Mellow Men and Catherine Beaumont as Alice, uh, composed by Sammy Fain, who also worked on The Second Star to the Right and You Can Fly from Peter Pan and mm-hmm. Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty. Uh, lyrics were by Bob Hilliard, who worked on many of the songs for Alice in Wonderland and a lot of songs outside of the Disney universe. Of course, the Mellow Men were a singing quartet founded by Thurl Ravenscroft and Max Smith in 1948. They sang back up for Rosemary Clooney, Bing Crosby, Elvis, so many more. But of course, in the Disney realm, Alice in Wonderland, Lady in the Tramp, Jungle Book, Peter Pan, Trick or Treat again. Um, you know, just we, we can go on and on and on and on and on with the Mellow Man. But uh, Painting the Rose is Red, I mean, Honestly, you could say that Alice in Wonderland, anytime you you would put that movie in like a season, I would say it would either be spring or summer just because mm-hmm. of the vibrancy with it, you know, with the flowers, maybe a lot of blooming, maybe spring in there, but it, it's just so vivid, maybe summertime. Uh, but for me, the reason why <laughs> on my summer playlist, uh, it's a very specific version of the song. It is like that that synth midi version that used to play on Walt Disney world and probably Disneyland's TVs on like the, it was like the, the channel that just kind of ran over what the weather was going to be and like what's happening at the hotel. And it was all that synthesizer music that was, you know, I'm sure Disney didn't have to license it because they were just using that cheap version. But for some reason, I fell in love with this song through that. And, you know, we took all our vacations uh, to Walt Disney World when I was growing up in the summer. So it's just it's one of those things that that song, when I when I hear it anytime, it makes me think of summer. But if I hear that specific version that used to play on on Walt Disney World TVs, it's just like I, I snap right back to being a kid again. And, uh, you know, it, it's also my favorite song from Alice in Wonderland. And I love I love once it gets into the whistling bit and really starts to pick up. Just a great mm-hmm, song. Mm-hmm. And it's a great scene in the Alice in Wonderland attraction at, uh, at Disneyland, too. I agree. I think that that's wonderful. Especially roses. You know, my roses are blooming despite the heat that we have right now. So I do think of it as like a spring or summer song. Also, because they play croquet, my family being English, I, I learned how to play croquet when I was quite young. And so that was always done in spring and summer. So, uh, so, um, so yeah, so that film and those songs do feel very summery there. So, well, once, okay, this is, I'm sort of cheating. This is sort of a CD that has a bunch of Disney songs, but I chose it because of the performer, which I, I equate him and the group he was a part of with summer and that and and california and that is in the key of disney by brian wilson who of course was one of the beach boys and so in in 2009 walt disney records approached wilson about recording his own arrangement some disney songs well he agreed but first he wanted to do an album of gershwin covers and then he turned his attention to this. So in the key of Disney is recorded in early 2011. And, uh, and so, you know, and Wilson just felt that the Beach Boys sound and, and the Disney, the Disney songs are a great 
collaboration. So he said he tried to do justice to all their songs. Now, if you, if you listen to it on Amazon, um, Amazon initially offered two bonus tracks with it. One is on the compact disc, which is what I have. And then the other was on the MP3 version, but it's, these songs like you've got a friend in me the bare necessities baby mine kiss the girls colors of the wind can you feel the love tonight we belong together i just can't wait to be king stay awake a mashup of hi ho and whistle while you work and yo ho a pirate's life for me and when you wish upon a star and then the bonus tracks where dream is a wish your heart makes and peace on earth um that one's from lady and the tramp and but it's done in that Beach Boy style with those harmonies and all that. So this is just such a fun summer album where you see that, that Beach Boy take on, on all of these songs. It absolutely is. I considered putting this one on the list, but I didn't know how to choose one song from it. So uh-huh. I, I fully respect you just choosing all of it. <laughs> I just throw it on there. But but it works. And, you know, I, it's, I last summer when Kylie and I were in California, uh, we, you know, I, I think I talked a little bit about it on the show, but, you know, we, we hit all these national parks and that was a, mm-hmm. a big part of it. And our, our very first day of, uh, of traveling, you know, we get in and we hang out in Hollywood. And then once it got to about like mid afternoon, uh, we, we jumped on highway one and we were starting to drive up to Ventura. Mm-hmm. So that way we could hit channel islands national park. And we, we, once we hit that coastline, the first thing I did was I put on beach boys and I put on <laughs> pet sounds and all the classic surfing ones. And then once we got closer to the an actual beach area, then, you know, we, we actually saw some surfers and it's like, there is nothing better than driving this part of California, driving, you know, past Malibu and, and listening to Brian Wilson and the beach boys. So mm-hmm. totally get it. It is, you know, I should have I should have put it on my list, but I'm happy you did. Yeah, and and that's where on that on that drive you could have listened to Life Is a Highway. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did. I think oh, okay, because I thought that would have fit in perfect too. <laughs> I so it's yeah. If she's with me, that always goes on as soon as we start a road trip. But in California, I have to like. I have to change it a little bit because I'm obnoxious. And the first song that I put on when I get our rental car and we, we leave the lot, the first song I always put on is uh, Randy Newman's I Love L.A. And <laughs> just blasted. I'm like, someone's going to shoot us one day <laughs> for being those people. But I don't know. Just it, it start, It's got to start off an L.A. road trip, even if all you're doing is driving to Anaheim. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That sounds good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My number four is my first one that deals with an attraction. And that is Yoho, a pirate's life for me Mm. from Pirates of the Caribbean. And, you know, of course, it is the theme of that attraction written by George Bruns with lyrics by Ex Atencio and sung by the Mellow Men. And honestly, I feel like we don't even need to say more about it. Uh, part of why I equate it to the summer is obviously once Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl came out and, you know, that's it, it ends the movie with Johnny Depp whisper singing 
parts of the lines and really bad eggs. And like once, you know, for me, it always kind of has a summer, a summer vibe to it because Pirates of the Caribbean being in the Caribbean, you know, again, tying that all in with tropical and summer, it, it always fit. But once Pirates of the Caribbean became like that summer movie for those couple years and then popped up a couple more times, it's like now I can't not equate Pirates of the Caribbean without summer so like yeah it just it, it it's a summer song for me gotta yeah, listen to it doesn't matter what version it's perfect mm-hmm. for it i agree i think that is a fun summer song for all those reasons the caribbean and being out on the ocean and all that so um, i think that's good well i do have one that is from the disney parks and that is it's not an attraction it is a nighttime spectacular and that is the song from the main street electrical parade Nice. And, and of course that the underlying theme song, of course, is Baroque Hoedown. And I, I've seen this since it first debuted, you know, back in, um, you know, way back in 1972 when they had like two dimensional floats that were pushed by cast members and all that. So I saw the earliest versions before, you know, we had Elliot and all that, but. This original version, and we talked a lot about it on, on 60 Years of Disneyland, how it was created. But the original version is created in 1967 by early th- synthesizer pioneer Jean-Jacques Perry and um, Gershon Kingsley. And it first appeared on the album Kaleidoscope Vibrations, electronic muse- pop music from Way Out. So the parade was created by Robert Janney and project director Ron Miziker. And it has, of course, we know that it has the live floats, performers, 600,000 electrically controlled LED lights, uses a synchronized soundtrack. This is the very first time Disney ever did this. And it was triggered by radio control along key areas of the parade route. But for me, this was... For years, I had to see it both times it ran through Disneyland. That's how much I enjoyed this, the, yeah. the, the big version of it. It's, it's gotten smaller every year as they drag it back out as, as floats are missing and, and all that. But, um, you know, and, and, and then there's a funny, when there's a funny one. I think Carol and I went down to Disneyland for my 30th birthday and space mountain had opened. She really wanted to go on space mountain, but the lines were huge because it was new. And so she, um, so, and I kept wanting to see the main street electrical parade. So we had agreed that when it, that I, I would give it up for its second run of the night. And as everybody rushed out to see main street electrical parade, we'd get in line for space mountain. And, well, and I thought, okay, that's the plan. So we thought as we hovered around the uh, people, you know, around Tomorrowland, we'd hop on the people mover. Go through. Yeah. Now, at this point, they were building Star Tours. So uh, where the mighty microscope had been adventures through inner space. So when you went through there, it was like dark. It was construction. And yeah. the narration was how it was going to be, um, you know, what it was going to be. And then we went through, well some teenagers that were in the train connected to us, they at some point jumped out on the track because they wanted to go in to see Star Tours. And well, there are sensors (laughs) there. So we stopped right above the entrance to, uh, to Tomorrowland. 
because the people mover goes over the entrance and we couldn't get out. So the way it worked is they, 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 cause it works differently. It, it worked differently at Disneyland than Magic Kingdom. And yeah. so they had, they only could, well, could shove one sort of give a, one train at a time, the boost needed to get it to where people could get out of the cars. Because I think that's one of the reasons it doesn't run anymore because you, you know, you're on such a narrow track at Disneyland. Yeah. yeah. And so we, um, so they sent security guards to us cause we were in an area you couldn't get out. So a couple guys, men in black, came out and we asked them what was going on and they told us and said that the the teenagers were apprehended <laughs> and um wow but we were the very last train to get over to where you know just the main drag down disneyland then down tomorrowland so that we could then hop out because there were areas to walk well we had the best view of the main street electrical parade you'd ever want to see from that vantage point. Oh, it was fantastic. Great. But yeah. the problem was we also watched all the people run from Space Mountain line to see the, the parade and then run back to get in the huge line. And so Karen and I were talking about Space Mountain. We really wanted to go on it and we missed our chance. And so when we got off of, um, when they finally got us off, somebody came up to us and said, are you the people who want to go on Space Mountain? And we should said, yes. And he said, follow me. And we went and we went through all these back doors and all that stuff. And suddenly he opened a door and we were at the front of the queue for Space Mountain. And he said, these are VIPs, put them on the next train. <laughs> and um, so, and everybody's wondering, who are they? Who are they? And I had my little musketeer badge on. And yeah. so people assume, oh, he's somebody famous. Who is he? And all that stuff. So, what, what, so cool. that was just such a fun story. But I did get to see the Main Street Electrical Parade. And it's so cool to see it from a distance and above. Because yeah. you see all the patterns of lights. And all that. Sometimes oh, yeah. when you're too close, you don't see them. So it, it really was a beautiful parade. I wish they would bring it back like in, they did in Tokyo, the dream lights, yeah. where, you know, they've added new floats and they maintain them, but they have more current films represented in there as well as the classics. So I wish they'd do something like that. I mean, and nothing's impossible. So as long as, long as uh, you know, they feel like they can still print money with the name <laughs> Main Street Electrical Parade. It will always be possible. And yeah. uh, I, on my bonus list, I chose the Walt Disney World equivalent. I mean, granted, I, I feel like I do equate summer with Main Street Electrical Parade, too, because, you know, it's ran many, many times during the summer at Walt Disney World with the patriotic ending, thinking, feeling Fourth of July with it. Mm-hmm. Like it <laughs> exactly. But one of my bonuses was Spectro Magic. So um, that's that to me is is mine since I saw that more times growing up on summer vacations than Main Street Electrical Parade. But, uh, you know, that That was a great it was a great parade. I listen to that soundtrack all the time. Yeah. And my my honorable mention list is Paint the Night. And I point that with summer, too. I didn't put um, that on my honorable mentions. I should have. I, I kind of forgot about it, actually. Yeah. Well, it seems like everybody has, unfortunately. No, but no, no, no. I, I don't know what they did with that parade. But uh, since it hasn't appeared anywhere, 
But uh, I would I love the whip to see that people are just, you know, they're standing around just whipping, waiting <laughs> to be able to walk back out again one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know I always said that it was the dominatrix fairies. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yes. All righty. So what do you have for us next? Okay. My number, I'm on number five now. So should I mm-hmm. run through the rest of my honorable mentions first? Um, sure. So, okay. So my other honorable honorable mentions in my bonus section that uh, was con- containing like CDs or longer uh, soundtracks, I had uh, Spectro Magic, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I had the soundtrack for Wishes, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Walt Disney World Firewall Show. I put that on mine. And I'll even I'll even give it like it's wishes and remember dreams come true yeah. since, you know, it's both of those would work, uh, of course, when you wish upon a star, because something about like I, you hear that song, you just think summertime at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. I mean, that mm-hmm. it's the anthem. So but not enough to get on the list. Um, also, in honorable mentions, uh, I had. The entire soundtrack for Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, because that's my one like that was my one stretch of like, okay, yeah, this is this is straight tropical, but could could be on my list. Um, I have Eye to Eye from a goofy movie because, uh, you know, it's an ultimate summer road trip movie between uh, crazy dad and his kind of stubborn bratty son and uh climaxes with the song eye to eye at that power line concert it's so good um you know i have to include something muppets so mm-hmm. i chose cabin fever from muppet treasure island because uh, it is the goofiest song in that entire movie <laughs> so uh it's i feel like that's out of left field and then the last one that's really weird choice for me was define dancing from wally uh that's the, oh, okay. thomas newman and peter gabriel they both composed that song together. Uh, Thomas Newman did the scoring for that. He's also done, you know, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Saving Mr. Banks, Elemental. Those are all his Disney ones. I, something about that, that music. It just like, it, it has that like space whimsy that I also think about summer with it. And, uh, you know, space and summer goes hand in hand for me. But my number five, taking it all the way back to the beginning of what I was saying about cruises, I have Candle on the Water, uh, written by huh. Al Kasha and Joel Horshorn for Pete's Dragon and recorded by Helen Reddy. Of course, this song was nominated for Academy Award for Best Original Song in 1977, but lost to You Light Up My Life from the movie with the exact same oh. name. <laughs> oh, I, I hated that, that song. Oh, that was one. Yeah. There's very few songs I despise. That is one of them. And then Midnight at the Oasis by Marina Meltower. I, I will turn the radio off when those songs come on. I, I should have. <laughs> I, I, I probably know you light up my life, but I didn't listen to it before. But I didn't recognize the song. Like, I didn't, looking at the song and lyrics, didn't recognize it. And I've never even heard of the movie. So that's you know it was it was like the the love song what was the big song from titanic and how everybody oh uh, yeah uh, yeah well it that was it that was it that was it for that time you light up my life you couldn't get away from that song my heart will go on yeah <laughs> yeah that's like it. the entire song in my head to get to that point i'm sorry i, I but remember but, but remember how you couldn't get away from that 
Oh, from yeah. that, no, and no, from I Titanic. Was... You light up my life. Same thing. Gotcha. Okay, for that, a different that, generation. Okay, that puts a lot of context into it. But uh, so obviously, with "Candle in the Water," uh, it was supposed to apparently be the only song in Pete's Dragon. But it was such a good song that they decided to turn the entire movie into a musical. And with that being said. You know, it might not necessarily be the most summary song in it. Like I thought about uh, putting in Brazzle Dazzle Day because mm-hmm. I feel like that's got a summer vibe to it. Boop, bop, 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 bop. I love you, too. <laughs> that could have that could have worked. Um, but Candle on the Water, the reason I chose that is I, I think it was my very first Disney cruise I went on, even though that was Alaska. Again, cruising in summer, uh, the the painting we had over the bed in the stateroom that had the musical notes on it was candle on the water. And, you know, I don't love Pete's dragon. I've talked about it many times on this show, mm-hmm. but I, I love the music in Pete's dragon. I, I a lot love of good that music. song. Yeah. And yeah, it just, I, I would say I could argue that Brazzle Dazzle day is a better summer song, but for me, candle on the water, it's if I, if that comes up on my playlist, I do not, I don't change it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, mine is again a, a bit of a cheat. That's um, it is a CD, and it's going back to the beach to Hawaii. Now that it is mainly from Auntie's Beach House at, from Alani. So this was a wonderful collaboration between Walt Disney Imagineering and Hawaiian language experts. Who what they did is they translated Disney songs into Hawaiian and. It was it was nominated for a, a number of awards. This album or CD. So if you hear it, you, you know you, when you when you're Auntie's Beach Auntie's Beach House, where which is the children's um, activity center, you'll hear it. But you also hear it in the elevators mm-hmm. as well at Alani. And so they it was so popular they did release this 13 song. Um, CD and it has like the bare necessities, zippity doodah, Hawaiian roller coaster ride, of course, under the sea, welcome. You've got a friend in me, be our guest, colors of the wind. We um, belong together. That's how you know it's a small world. I just can't wait to be king. And when you wish upon a star, all in Hawaiian with Hawaiian um, instruments. And I don't know, I, I love this album because it just takes me right back to Alani and the beach and relaxing and, you know, everything that's in that resort is just wonderful. Yep. Uh, An excellent choice. Uh, This music was one of my favorite aspects of Alani. Uh, I fell in love with it, you know, riding the elevators just to listen to it (laughs) so much that like, I I know when, uh, when we got home from the only time I've been to Alani, uh, Sean Thompson and I, like we, we scoured the internet to try to find this music because they didn't have a CD available at that time Mm -hmm. and could not find it. And then I believe we found out that the, the Japanese iTunes store had music from Alani on it, but you know, like it wasn't the Disney one, it was other stuff. And so like, yeah, there was a second account and bought that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yep. And, but it's not the same as the, the Hawaiian take on the Disney song. So Mm -hmm. when they eventually released that it, I mean, it went into my rotation nonstop for a long time because it's, 
Yeah, it's just calming, relaxing. You mm-hmm. know, it makes you feel like you're back at Alani. It makes you feel like you're at the Polynesian. It's mm-hmm. just, it's such a good, interesting take on Disney music. So I, a great, great choice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the other CD was like the music you'd hear in the lobby area mm-hmm. and, and things, because I have that one too. Yeah, and, it's all uh, good music. It is. It, it's it, all wonderful. Put you in the spirit of Alani right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this was fun. These are these are some of the Disney songs we'll listen to for the rest of the summer. But let us know in the comments what tunes or CDs do you include in your Disney playlist. So, but now it's time for this week in Disney history. All right, Craig. Well, since you're, I always let the guests. Um, uh, go first. So, would you like to go first? And this, although you're, we're, we're sort of, we're back here to our the way we started with both of us together. So. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I would, uh, I would be happy to go first. So, uh, I am going back to the ripe year of 1994, and one of my favorite favorite restaurants opened in 1994 at Disney's Contemporary Resort. And that, of course, was the Concourse Steakhouse. Uh, mm. It was planted on the former site of the Concourse Grill uh, on the fourth floor of you know the Grand Concourse of the Contemporary Resort. And I... My family ate here a bunch of times. You know, it it closed in May of 2008. And at that point, you know, that entire space, they gave a lot of it to Chef Mickey's. The rest of it was turned into Contempo Cafe. Uh, But, you know, Michael and I, before we were recording this, we're talking about Steakhouse 55 at Disneyland. And there's a lot of great steakhouses at Walt Disney World still to this day, but there was something about the vibe of of the Concourse Steakhouse that just was so perfect, you know, and that the open airness of the giant A-frame of the contemporary, having the monorails whizzing past, but still it was, you know, the windows on the end allowed kind of the darkness and and moonlight to shine through a little bit while the ambient lighting in the resort, because it is still an active hotel uh, where all the guests are basically inside unless they're in a garden wing, you know, it's, it's kept at a minimum. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it would have been a romantic place to eat at, but uh, for, for a family, it also was like, it felt like it was the fanciest dinners that we were eating until like the day that they took us to, uh, to California grill, but Concourse Steakhouse was such a great one. And just like in looping that in with Steakhouse 55, that so much is like the other idealized steakhouse in my head where it's just a dark interior space that you imagine one, one day years ago, it just, you couldn't walk through because the smoke cloud was so thick <laughs> permeating the room. But, uh, you know, a classic steakhouse, uh, this subtle decor, dark lighting, uh, really good food. Uh, for me, Concourse Steakhouse, opposite in vibes, but just so many memories from eating there. Mm-hmm. That is wonderful. So, and, and that was well, August 10th, because I don't think oh, okay. I actually mentioned the date. August 10th, 1994, it opened. Okay. It closed in May 2008. Okay, well, mine is sort of close to yours. 
but it's I chose August 9th, 1969, and that is when the Haunted Mansion opened in New Orleans Square at Disneyland. I knew you were going to choose that. So that <laughs> <laughs> and this, this, of course, you know, we've talked about this on the show, Disneyland at 60 series, how this mansion sat there for years. And I was so excited. I had, uh, I had the Tencennial material that was printed that first talked about the Haunted Mansion. And I would bring it with me to Disneyland every time I went. And we would like ride a main street vehicle. As we went down, that was like one of our things we did. I would always ask whoever the cast member was driving, has this opened yet? And I would show it to them. <laughs> so, and they would always say no, and I'd walk by it. And so, I mean, and what was fun is this is when Disneyland had, um, had ice cream sundaes based on attractions at Carnation Plaza. And so this, they had the uh, ice cream um, sundaes there for for when the haunted mansion opened and all that and it was i and then s-c-r-e-a-m sundays <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then and it had it was had staggered openings official grand opening was on my birthday august 12th so in 1969 so um Anyway, so just, you know, I was so excited for years about this attraction. It's one of my favorites. Uh, It's a must, you know, do attraction whenever I go to whichever park has it. And um, just love it. And, of course, now there's a film out that we'll talk about in just a bit. But, uh, But, yeah, that's it. So August 9th, the first time we entered the the Haunted Mansion. I I wish I was out there for the anniversary this year, but I am not. I uh, I, I miss it by uh, one day with my my trip to California. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be flying home on the red eye the on the eighth instead of uh, instead of being there for the ninth because it would have been the either the second or third time that oddly enough I was there on the uh, the opening date for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So speaking of which, for our Diz Dreams events, we sort of talked a little about it. You know, that's this weekend. Uh, and so what are you looking forward to doing there? Oh, you talked I, about seeing Rogers the Musical, which I want to see also. Yeah, I mean, in terms of attractions, you know, it's our, it, just the parks in general, it's our first time taking our son on a flight. <laughs> so, you know, we're starting off with, you know, not as big as it could be. I guess it's not a, it's not an international flight, but you know, it's, it's still decently far cross country. So that's, yeah, that's going to be fun and interesting. It's long but, when you're little. <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be long, but you know, it's Kylie and I love Disneyland so much that it's such a special place for us. And, and I, I just can't wait to basically run around with our son taking pictures of everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I want him to experience a lot of attractions and see it's a small world and, and Peter Pan's flight there and Snow White and, and Alice in a Wonderland. Unfortunately, I believe Mr. Toads is closed the entire time we're there. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, Storybookland canal boats, uh, Casey Jr. Oh, Casey Jr. Oh. You have to come. And, and you have to take them on demo, of course. 
Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, literally the list goes on and on and on of all the things that, that we're so excited to do with him. But then, you know, that's, that's just that aspect of my family vacation. And, and then, of course, the part where we're there for work, I cannot wait to, to see everyone else and have that party in Avengers campus because I believe the last time I was on the show, that's when we were talking about Paradise Pier and, or sorry, Pixar Pier mm-hmm. and how it uh, looks like Toy Story is going to be closed. John's working on something special and, and he's like, maybe it'll be Avengers Campus and, uh, it, you know, not added onto it, but is now fully Avengers Campus. You know, cool set of characters having the Doctor Strange show, which I still haven't seen. Uh, so that's on my list I've of one of the things never seen, I I've never seen to. it at night, but they say it's best to see it Better. at night yeah. because that's of the lighting feel. effect. So I have to, um, I've only seen it day and they make you sit on the slates and it was like 90 something degrees and those slates had absorbed all the heat and it was, it, I couldn't sit on it. It was so hot. Making the same mistakes as reverse of light. <laughs> Over at Walt Disney World with those seats just burning and scolding throughout the entire day. And even once it gets dark at night and that show begins to start, your butt is still burnt from yeah. those seats. So yeah. they'll, they'll never learn with it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for that. And of course, rides on Spider-Man and, and Guardians. But it just it, it seems like it's shaping up to be so fun. And I, I'm I'm so glad that, you know, John built in the time ahead of time before the event to start so that way you know we get to mingle with everyone so that way people Mm -hmm. don't feel like they have to you know waste time during the party to try and track us down and they can you know enjoy what what the ticket is covering and that's that's couple hours access in Avengers Campus with little to no lines and all those characters. So I like that that's happening. It's going to be fun. We have meetups that have been announced on the boards with members of the team uh, that, you know, I'm on Friday. I'll be meeting people in the Grand Californian lobby around 2.30, I believe, is the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have a meetup as well, too. Yeah, 4 o'clock. We're going to cruise the rivers of America on whichever ship is in um, in port in, at the dock. And I, I chose that one, not only because it's so different from Walt Disney World's The Magic Kingdom's version, but because then it gives us time to chat and interact and all that as we enjoy the ride. Exactly. So. You know, it's it's like, just don't, if you end up on the sailing ship Columbia, do not, you know, put everyone downstairs in the... <laughs> in the- in the, brig. In the under <laughs> part and put them in the brig, you know, let, <laughs> let everyone stay up on, on air and breathe and just go deaf every time they shoot off the cannon. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to meeting listeners and I have to be braver about going on Guardians of the Galaxy. The drop scares me and I just don't like it. So, but I have to do it. So I've done it once, but, um, well, and I think I was like this <laughs> when they took the photo. <laughs> no it's gonna be great yeah it is it is gonna be great well we spoke about the haunted mansion earlier and i just saw the film the new film the haunted mansion and i know craig you haven't had an opportunity to go see it that's because you went and saw barbie instead i haven't no i have not (laughs) been able to find time so uh 
the the behind the scenes in my messy life right now besides trying to get ready for disneyland uh and all of that are our kitchen has have it's been remodeled over the past month so i've been living with my parents for that time uh you know only like 25 minutes away from my house but now like everything you know if if contractors were over here i had to be over here for it so mm-hmm. i i couldn't really see a lot of movies while that work was happening and then you know having to go back over there and take care of the dogs and just extra commute time it's like you never think about how an extra 30 minutes can completely change your day. And, you know, if it's both ways, then yeah. that's, that's an extra hour in the car that just you can't do anything else with it. So I'm like really good on podcasts right now. I've listened to them all, but movies, I just I haven't I haven't gotten the time to see Oppenheimer yet. I haven't seen great Barbie. film. Great film. I, I, I want to see it. So I want to see all of them so bad. And and you have to see it in a the theater. I, oh, I will. Yeah. I will. I'm. I'm gonna carve out time on the way back. I. I had a ticket booked today for Haunted Mansion, and I'll just call him out because I'm mad about it. Rhino went to get his haircut, and somehow that whole process took three hours. So by the time we finished our recording, my movie ticket <laughs> time had come and gone. So, I'm looking forward to seeing his hair. <laughs> That'll be a highlight for me at the Disneyland. And that was part of it. The, the haircut didn't last that long, but then he wasn't happy. So he went home and he had to try to fix it himself. And that's where the time started <laughs> piling up. So I'm like, you need to find a new barber already because <laughs> you clearly hate yours. Let's move on from them. But I, yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I'll see it before I leave for California since I'm quickly running out of time uh but I'll, I'll see it as soon as i get back i, I it's it didn't do well box office wise but no, i know no. disney springs it will play for a long time since it's disney but i enjoyed it first of all if you are if you love the haunted mansion i think they have every easter egg in there they possibly could have had and um so it was fun i thought it was just fun seeing how they were incorporating what we all love about the attraction into the film. Uh, you know, this is just one of those. And, oh, and also to prepare for it, I watched the Eddie Murphy version. This is a better version. <laughs> this haunted <laughs> mansion is better, you know, but the audience was laughing and enjoying it. And, you know, it's sad that it'll probably lose money just because it just seems so expensive to make films now. I don't know. But I know this is an expensive film, but there's a lot of special effects, a lot of CG in there. And, and a lot of celebrities. Yes. Honestly, that probably weren't taking a pay cut for it. And yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand without seeing it. I don't understand how this movie costs like $200 million to make, but it's, I mean, they, I it, it would need to be a Pirates of the Caribbean level film to make back its budget on it i once i knew that i was like oh no unfortunately i think this movie even if it's good i think it's going to be doomed because too many people now just don't care about seeing disney movies in theaters it's coming Mm -hmm. to disney plus yeah 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 and and it's not like the old days where it before it got on the streaming it would be months and months and months and months later and And, you know and so it's it's a shame 
yeah, they, they could they could just extend the time and make it like, yeah, it won't be here for six months and you're going to start getting more people, you know, you're going to start getting more people to think about it and think about actually going. And then ultimately too, I hope that there's more successes like Barbie and Oppenheimer. Obviously Oppenheimer is a very specific style movie and, you know, it's, it is these type of movie that you truly have to see in in movies in a movie theater. But you know, once you get a movie like Barbie too, that's more mainstream, but has just broken through. Like all the people who are going to see that, remind them like you need to see movies in theaters. That's what they're mm-hmm. designed for. Mm-hmm. They're not designed for streaming. It's great that it's more convenient. Yes, it sucks how much money it costs, but it's just you. Even people who are like, I've got a 70-inch TV, I've got a 90-inch TV, it, sit in a Dolby theater in the perfect row, in the middle, in the right seat, have it mm-hmm. blow you away. And you're, I don't care if you have a 120-inch TV, it's not the same. It'll never be the same. So go to the theater, please. Yes, I agree. But this was a fun film. It's a great, if you sort of want to introduce a child to a little scary film, you know, this, there's, I think there's enough, enough scary things in here that, that a young child would in, enjoy without getting freaked out. There, there's some themes in there, like the theme of grief is, is really permeates this film. Uh, grief on a part of a couple of the characters. And that's interesting because you usually don't see that in a children's film. Yeah. So it could, it could, you know, initiate some great discussions and talks and all the actors are terrific. Uh, the little boy that plays Travis is great. Um, he, he it just, his timing is great. His facial expressions are terrific. So I really enjoyed him. But overall, it was just a fun film that you could just sit back, enjoy your popcorn, and just sort of go through the whole storyline, you know, in there. I know some people don't like Jamie Lee Curtis as Madame Leota, but I thought she did a great job with it. So I I recommend seeing it. See it in the theater. It's a lot of fun. And this is one that when it does come out on physical media – I want to um I want to have it. It's gonna be in my Halloween movie rotation okay. and all that. Because I, I and I'm hoping this will be like Elemental. You know, Elemental's still out there and it's still slowly it's still bringing in money and they're getting to the break even point and all that. So I'm hoping, you know, ha Hal- and Mansion will sort of be that way too. Where it'll be out there for a while and more and more people will go and see it and it'll start and it'll just slowly make a profit. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's, it's true. People are still seeing Barbie and Oppenheimer. So it's once that dies down, you know, unless it, and it, it could, if it has enough legs to get closer to Halloween, if it can make it to September, I think it'll have a reemergence because people want to watch a Halloween movie around Halloween, mm-hmm. not the end of summer, but I, you know, it's, it's on Disney for releasing it when they did. Yeah, well, probably because by Halloween they want it on Disney Plus. Maybe, so maybe. That might be why. I don't know. But it was a fun film. And the Hatbox Ghost is is in the film, is one of the 999 Happy Haunts. But it's been announced where in the Haunted Mansion 
is the hat box ghost going to appear, which personally I feel that's a California. He's a California apparition and he should have stayed there. But, you know, another way to bring in people, I guess. Uh, but his placement is interesting because everything I read is he's going to be at the um, endless hallway. Yes. So. And it makes no sense. It's, I, I mean, you said with it, like, you know, you, if there's a space to put him, why not put him there? But it makes no sense. They couldn't have found mm-hmm. space in somewhere in the graveyard. They couldn't it, have put yeah. it in the graveyard attic. would have been terrific. Yeah. Or the attic where he is in hours. Those would have been, too, it has to be after Madame Leota because yeah. she brings the spirits out. She conjures them up and then you see the ballroom, the, you know, the attic, the ballroom, you know, you know, you see everything in there, the graveyard. So to have him before the seance doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's like, okay, it's a change that didn't necessarily need to happen. And then you're putting it in a terrible place in the attraction. Like, what is happening with Imagineering? Is this a push for more merchandising featuring the Hatbox Ghost? Like, oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't get why someone couldn't speak up and say, "Hey, we shouldn't do this because it doesn't make sense." The storyline's pretty easy to listen to if you do the attraction once. You kind of figure it out, but I, I, I'm, I'm just at a loss for it. So I, you know. Hatbox Ghost, I wasn't, it wasn't that I was against him being a part of the attraction. I like Hatbox Ghost. Uh, I do think it sticks out as an animatronic because of how fluid it is and Mm -hmm. and the style of it. So it's not, it's not the, it's not the best fit. But now you're putting him out on right up in center before you see any other ghost. It's just, it makes no sense. So good for them. I hope they're able to sell a couple more t-shirts. Oh, you know, Memento Mori will will just be filled with Hatbox Ghost. I saw the Hatbox Ghost on day one pins. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Anyway, but, um, you know, I mentioned that if the Haunted Mansion, when it comes out on physical media, I'm going to add it to my collection. I know, Craig, you're a big believer in, in physical media. But what do you think of Disney announcing they're ending the sales of physical media in Australia? And is this, do you think this is going to be hit all the continents or or what? I I don't. I don't I'll be honest. I don't know enough about this kind of business in Australia to really, uh, to really give a lot of insight on it because my initial thought was, okay, with Australia, maybe it's like region one or four, maybe it's in that, like, I mean, so many things are regionless now, so that doesn't even matter, but maybe, maybe it does to an extent with older formats with like DVD versus Blu-ray. Uh, so then my next thought goes to, okay, maybe it's that Australia doesn't have factories that are printing DVDs, Blu-rays. So right there, if you have to import a product to Australia, to a, you know, a continent, but not necessarily a, a 
maybe they're not buying a lot of movies like that, then you have to start wondering, like, well, is it worth it to import it? And like, I feel like they have to have a factory somewhere, but maybe they don't. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just that it costs too much. The supplies to make them are too expensive for that part of the world. So it makes no sense financially. I mean, I... Also, too, we just we know we know that physical media is not necessarily hanging by a thread, but it's it's not in a great position because so many people have been so accustomed to. Is it on Netflix? No. Is it on Disney Plus? Yes. Okay, perfect. I have that. You know, Mm -hmm. they go they go through there. And if they don't, it'll be like, oh, well, it'll probably be on Netflix one day. Um, (laughs) And that's just the world we now live in. I mean, I'm. I I I'm at a loss for how it got to this point because you know it's we also you read any of the fine print on any of these things you have any of these services you know what just happened with Disney Plus anything can be pulled from any time and just gone yeah. forever no matter how much you love it and then your only next step is piracy at that point which you know that kind of lost its uh its glitz and glamour you know which is a good thing because for the longest time. That was very, very popular and it's fell out of fashion. But I I don't I don't like it as a trend. If if it just starts there and stays there, then that's fine. But if we start hearing like, okay, more of uh, Asian countries are cutting back on physical media, Europe, then I'm starting to get worried. And if it hits the United States, I'm. You're going to see me have a panic attack. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have any physical media behind me besides books, uh, just because all my movies are downstairs. But um, yeah, I I have a lot, and I have a lot of DVDs, and I I have not upgraded really to 4K yet in a big way because I'm saving that for whatever is the next format after 4K <laughs> that comes, and I know I will overspend on that too, and. Uh, I don't. I don't want to see that end. I, I like. I like having that copy. And yeah, that's and I, therapy with Craig right now. Yeah, and I also, if they make a change, let, let's say that you buy one digitally, they can go in and they can make changes to the film. Yes, you know, like can. I think that, and like pull out a scene or something like that. And now you no longer have the original version if you've bought just a digital copy that you're, yep. you know from a streaming service or something. So that's, uh, that's another concern about not having physical media. Yep. As well. So, all right. Well, this is actually our final show for a while. We are going on our August hiatus, but Craig and I will see you at the Diz dreams event. And also, um, at destination, um, destination, um, D 23, in September at Walt Disney World. And so we're, we're going to return with the next new episode on September 15th, 2023, and probably to talk about Destination D and what our experience is like there and at the parks. So we hope you have a great August. We hope we see you at the parks, either Disneyland or Walt Disney World. But Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? I will be in all the places I normally am. Shows on the Disunplugged Podcast Network, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Uh, sorry, not Twitter. We have to update that. I know. Next. X. 
<laughs> so does that mean now you X'd instead of you tweeted? I don't I don't know. I don't understand it. I tried to hold off from letting my app update and then it did. And now I'm like I, I used to always open Twitter anytime I got a notification and now I see an X and I'm like, I don't know what this is. Opening it, uh, it hasn't so updated like, on all my devices yet. Did you hear about the big sign he put on the Twitter building in San Francisco? No, he, Elon Musk put they had a giant X put on the building. Apparently, didn't discuss it with like San Francisco if there are any rules about this. Apparently, it is so bright that people that live near the building, even with their shades down at night, they're they're condos apartments whatever are com- fully illuminated <laughs> so it's, it's like the I, I don't know if you're a seinfeld fan but there's uh there's an episode where the kenny rogers chicken restaurant opens up across the way from kramer's apartment and it's just a bright beam orange light that shines in his window nonstop. so it's and, like that you know, it's <laughs> Seinfeld Simpsons predicting everything in the world one day. Uh, Oh, that's wild. But uh, Facebook, Twitter X, Instagram at Teleclaster. And then you can email me at any time, Craig at DisneyInfo.com. What about you, Michael? Can you send me messages at Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com? Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyPug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. And we'll be back on September 15th. <laughs>